welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to be with you today. We want to continue our study on prayer. We have been uh, for several weeks now in a series called The School of Prayer. And uh, probably just one more week. I think we'll uh, talk a little bit today and maybe uh, kind of come to an end of that study uh, next time we're together. But my prayer has been that it has been as encouraging to you as it has to me. Uh, this is one of those series of sermons that really was born out of my own desire uh, to grow in my relationship with God and come to a place where I can pray like Jesus did. And and uh, man, I've been walking with the Lord a long time, but there's so much that I can learn. And, and, and the longer we walk with the Lord, sometimes the, the more stale that relationship becomes. So we have to be reminded of how we can kind of re-engage and, and jump back in. So that's what this whole series has been for me. Now, we have talked thus far in our School of Prayer series uh, we began with the basics. We talked about preschool prayer. When we first come to know Christ, what does that prayer look like? And, and how we grow in our maturity and our prayer life grows with us. See, the problem is that many of you have walked with the Lord a long time, but your prayer life has not matured as you've grown in your relationship with the Lord. So we talked about preschool prayer and what does that look like, that we've got to know who he is and know who we are. That's where it begins. And then we talked about elementary school prayer and, and, uh, and we walked through the, the model prayer that Jesus gives us. We talked about prayer when we get into middle school, learning to pray in the name of Jesus. We talked about high school, the challenges as we begin to mature, all of a sudden difficulty and heartache and hardship come our way and we better learn warfare prayer. And then we talked about as we we uh, learn warfare prayer, all of a sudden we discover that the enemy has been working all along to establish a stronghold in me. And so when I get to the college level, I better know how to deal with those strongholds. And then last time we were together, we jumped into the maturity of our walk with God. And, uh, and we kind of did that because it was the 4th of July and I kind of springboard to use that as an opportunity to teach you how to pray as a mature believer, where we talked about how to pray an intercessory prayer. How do we pray for other people? And we talk about the prayer triangle. A prayer triangle is when one person goes to another person for bread, yet for another person. It's when we go to God for another person. And so there create, there's this triangle that is created. And this is what I've discovered. The longer we walk with God, the more time we spend in an intercessory prayer, the more we begin to pray for other people. And early in our life, we're praying for ourselves. But the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we begin to, God begins to bring other people to our mind. He wakes us up in the middle of the night. Sometimes I'll wake up often in the middle of the night, and I've learned to do two things. One, I, when I wake up, I'll just quickly say as I'm waking up, okay, God, did you wake me up or did I wake up because I've been laying on my shoulder and it hurts? You know, why, why did I wake up? Did, if you woke me up, why did you wake me up? Is there somebody I need to pray for? Is there something? And you know, a lot of times God will bring to me the name of a person or I'll see a person and I'll see some of you and, and immediately recognize, you know what, God, God's prompting me to pray. And I'll lay there. Sometimes it's just a quick prayer. Sometimes it's a long prayer. But intercessory prayer is a prayer of a mature Christian. 
Now, the more we walk with God, the longer we walk with God, the more we pray all kinds of prayers. But I believe that one prayer that comes to the top is that ability to pray for other people. And so today, we're going to kind of go back to where we started our study, and we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells, and it is recorded in Luke. If you have your Bible, look with me, if you will, at Luke chapter 11. And in answer to the question, Jesus responds to the disciples when they said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? He gives this story. And in this story, he gives us, I think, one of the best pictures of this kind of mature prayer that you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. It's a fun story that Jesus uses. Now, it, it was this, really, it was this story that, that prompted my attention um, to want to grow in my prayer life. I've shared with you over and over again throughout this series, when we come to, to, to Luke chapter 11, the Bible tells us in verse 1 that Jesus, as soon as he had finished praying, his disciples said to him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples how to pray? Now, what I've told you all the way through this is the disciples knew how to pray. They were Jews. They had grown up praying. You know how to pray. But I think what they did was they saw Jesus pray and they said, you know what? My prayer doesn't look like that. I, I want to pray like, like that. And what would it be like if you could pray like Jesus? What do you think would change in your life if you prayed like Jesus prayed? He spent his entire life going from one place of prayer to another place of prayer. Really, that's what happened. Everything he did ministry-wise was between places of prayer. But what would happen in your life if you prayed like Jesus? You think there'd be any change? I think there might be significant change, and it might be the very thing you're looking for. And so, in the text, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Now, when he finished this little, little model that he offers them here, and we went through and looked at that, he offered them a story. And that story is recorded for us in Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 5. So let's just look at it. We're going to unpack it and discover four things in this text so that we know what the, tri what, what is a, what is the triangle of prayer look like. What does it look like when we pray in accessory prayer? What does that prayer look like? Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, verse 5, and he goes to him at midnight and he says, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, just, I'm going to deal with that story, but connected to it is what happens next because Jesus says in the next verse, something you're a little bit more familiar with, in the next verse he said, so I, so I say to you, ask and it will be given, seek and you'll find, knock and it will be opened. Now, the, 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 the word in the Greek literally can be translated this way, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Uh, seek and keep on seeking. Now, that carries with it the idea of the story that is before us. 
Now, what's fun is that this story really allows us to see what this kind of prayer looks like. So there are four things we're going to look at together today. First of all, I want you to notice with me in the story that intercessory prayer is, number one, bold praying. It is bold praying. In fact, there are three words that I think capture what this kind of prayer looks like. We could call it daring, bold, audacious. Those are three words that capture what's happening in the story. And the reason is because that's what is called for at this moment. There are times in our life when we will face issues and circumstances and challenges and others around us will face circumstances and challenges that call for bold praying. That's what this situation calls for. The hour is inconvenient. It's midnight when this occurs. The circumstances involved are not ideal. My children are asleep. In a literal translation, my children are in bed with me. Now, you got to understand, in the time that Jesus is telling the story, they didn't have houses like you have. You have a house with a living room, and everybody has a bedroom or bedroom that are shared by other people, and you put your kids to bed, and you have a place to retreat to after that. They didn't have that. They had kind of a one-room house, and everybody slept in the same room, and, and a lot of times mom and dad's here, and they gather their kids around them, and, and man, if you got to get up during the night, it, it's like walking over people in order to get where you need to go. Now, can you imagine, well, I could ask you, this, have you ever had that kid that just doesn't go to sleep at night? You know the one I'm talking about? No matter what you do, they just, they, they're, and it's one thing if you're trying to put them to bed and they're in their own room and you're constantly having to go because they're not interrupting everybody else. What if you're in the same room with all the kids and you got that one that refuses to go to sleep and every night is an ordeal. Every day is this process where you're just hopeful that I can wear him out in the course of the day and he'll hit the ground literally and, and go to sleep in that moment, but all of a sudden you get there and every night is an ordeal because not only does he keep you up, he keeps everybody else up. And by the time, and then another one pops up and it's an ordeal. So this is a real situation. What Jesus is saying is that when this guy finally got all of his family together and they're sleeping, do not disturb. In fact, when his friend comes knocking on the door, he might have responded without yelling, but saying, hey, everybody is finally asleep. Not now. Well, I need some bread. Not now. You don't understand. We've been trying for hours to get the little one down. And he finally went down. Go away. You're going to wake him up. And what happens? He keeps knocking at the door. He's not even deterred by a hard-to-put-to-sleep child in the room. But he continues to knock on the door, knock and keep on knocking. You don't understand. I've got to have, this is a bold prayer. You know what I've discovered? For many of us, we have never prayed bold prayers. You quit. We ask one time or we think, well, and it comes back to what we learned in preschool, remember? who you believe God is. Some of you don't pray 
bold prayers because you've never gotten to the point where you understand who he is. And so you're like, you know, I, I would ask God to do that, but I don't want to bother him. He's running the universe and he's taking care of sin. But your understanding of God has kept you from praying bold prayers. But when we get that down and we move on to elementary school and we move on to high school and we move beyond that, suddenly our understanding of God from the text and the stories that are given to us allow us to come before him and say boldly, I'm going to knock and keep on knocking. I'm going to ask and keep asking. I'm not going to stop. This is, a, this is a circumstance that is beyond my control. It is something that happens and I don't know what else to do with it. Many of us would say to our friend if he came to our door, man, I know that you're hungry, but I don't have any bread. You're welcome to stay with me, but we'll just have to take care of that problem tomorrow. I want to tell you something. God is calling us to a bold, grown-up kind of prayer. And then this story, I think Jesus is saying there are times when, when, when it might seem that God is not at work, but we, we need to come in those moments in this way where we understand God can. There is a need, and I know that God can meet it. And if I pray, God might meet that need. And because God might meet that need, I will pray as if he's going to meet that need. And I'm not going to let go. God, my husband, my wife, my child needs to know you, and I'm not going to stop asking until I see it happen. And I'm going to pray boldly, God, that you'll put people in their life. I'm going to pray that you'll interrupt things in their life. I'm going to pray boldly and confidently because I know you can and you might. And because you might, I'm going to pray as if you will. And I will hold to that in bold prayer. But secondly, we discover that it's not just a bold prayer. It's a stubborn prayer. Perhaps the most critical verse in all this passage of Scripture is in verse 8. When Jesus says this, and I say to you, even though he will not get up and give you anything, give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, what's interesting about that verse is the word friend. The word friend translated there can be translated best friend, close friend intimate friend. Man, this is the one person on earth I can depend on. This is the one person I can go to when I'm in a bind. And yet in the story before us, who would deny a friend? Who would say to his best friend, I can't help you? Well, someone that has a kid that's hard to go to sleep at night might. Somebody that's going through their own challenges might say, dude, I'll help you, but not now. It's not a good time. Because of the relationship we have, I feel comfortable saying, no, I'm not going to help you right now. And what's really interesting in the story before us, we've got two guys that are stubborn. One wants bread and refuses to take no for an answer, and the other one has bread and refuses to give it. And both of them are stubborn. Neither one of them is going to move. And so what happens? The Bible says he just keeps on knocking. And he's going to knock until the light comes on and the neighbor's dog starts barking. He is not 
going to stop and the stubborn attitude that he has. Finally, his neighbor says, dude, enough is enough. All right, hang on, stop knocking. And he gets up and he fumbles around and he walks over the kid and he gets to the place in the house where the bread is located and he gets all of it. He gets all of it in frustration, comes to the door and says, here, take it all, just get out of here. Now, what an interesting story. What's amazing is that Jesus values that kind of stubbornness on our part when we pray. He places high value on that. There's another story in Luke that Jesus tells that illustrates the same point. In Luke chapter 18, if you look over a couple of pages, Jesus tells the story, and he's talking about prayer again, and he tells the story of a judge and a widow. A judge being in authority, able to make decisions, and a widow being poor, unable to take care of herself, unable to pay for any help, seeking help. And, and Jesus says this, he tells a parable in 18, Verse 1 is where the parable begins, but in verse 2 it says, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God nor respect men. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, otherwise she will continually come and wear me out. You know, it's funny that Jesus would value that kind of stubborn tenacity in our prayer. But what he says is, knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. Ask and keep asking. I wonder how many times you've prayed just once nothing happened you give up or maybe you prayed twice it was important or maybe if it was really important you prayed three times but you know what's really interesting about that <laughs> is that there are some of you that are in this room today and the only reason you're here is because somebody wouldn't give up praying for you They prayed for you for years. I know of moms who've prayed for their children for years. I mean, every day, coming before the Lord, my son has wandered away. God, he's not where he needs to be. God, I pray that you'll speak to him, work in his heart, keep him safe until he's able to recognize like the prodigal son the error of his ways and come back to you. God, I come to you. Can you imagine that Jesus says he values those who come to him over and over and over. And, and, and sometimes it's not that we wear him out. He's not trying to say that. He's, he's putting himself against those people to say if that judge will answer and he's a person that doesn't respect God or man, how much more will your heavenly father? But nonetheless, he still says, but I value your coming. 
Maybe it's there that God can see our heart. When my boys were small, when it would come around Christmas time, we would begin to ask them what they wanted for Christmas. It was different when my boys were growing up. When I was growing up, we had this wonderful thing happen every year that you, bless your heart, you'll, you'll never experience, but we had this wonderful thing happen around September at our house where we would get the Christmas wish book. Do you remember that? Sears and Montgomery Ward would put out a catalog and it was the Christmas catalog. And it had a section of toys that was unlike anything you've ever seen. And my brother and I would fight over that Christmas catalog. And we would labor over the pages. And we would carefully determine what we want for Christmas. Now, they didn't have that when my kids were growing up. So, so we, we, we had to do the next best thing. And some of you won't ever get to experience this, I don't guess. But we used to take them to a place called Toys R Us. I don't even think they're there. They're, they don't have those anymore. So we would go to Toys R Us. And we would just take them and, and just turn them loose. And we would just simply say, hey, kind of look around, see if you see something you like. Well, you know what I discovered? They liked everything. I want that, and that, and that, and that, and that. And let me tell you something. You know, the first 30 minutes, I didn't pay attention to anything they asked for. In fact, most of the time we'd take them, we'd go home, and I wouldn't pay attention to anything they would ask for. But what would happen over the next few weeks would be I would hear over and over again a reoccurring theme. I want that, I want that, I want that. And all of a sudden, all of the other stuff would begin to fade away and they would focus on one and I could really then begin to see where their heart is. I don't know. But maybe God says, I want you to ask and keep on asking because I, I want your heart to get to where you really understand and I want you, I, I, I'm working on you. I'm, you're not trying to convince me. He's already said, I already know what you need before you ask, but I'm kind of doing something in you right now. So, Carol, I want you to keep on asking, and I want you to keep on knocking. I want you to keep on seeking. And, and, and the more you knock and the more you seek and the more you ask, the more you begin to hone in on what's going on and you begin to understand my heart and I understand yours and our relationship gets to where it is. And, and, and I value the fact that you, you, you just, you're stubborn and you won't let it go. And you keep on praying over and over again. Well, the third thing I see in the story <laughs> reveals that this kind of prayer, the prayer of a mature believer, a person that really walks with the Lord, is bold. They, they, they just have a tendency to just boldly come right into the throne room of God like they know him personally. You've heard people pray that way, right? They pray with such authority. And they, they're stubborn. Man, they'll grab hold of the horns of the altar is the old illustration and not let go until God blesses me. But the third thing that I see in the story is that they're, they're, they're desperate. There's a desperation in their prayer that, that I think so often is missing in ours but that's what happens in this story. This, this guy's desperate. That's why he keeps knocking. Desperate 
people pray like that. But, but my question for you is this, okay, why do desperate people pray like that? And I think maybe two quick answers to that is that one, there's a sense of urgency. In this prayer, there's a sense of urgency. There's the cry of desperation. Why? Because a friend has come to me. He didn't come to my neighbor. He didn't come to the pastor. He came to me. See, there was an unwritten law in, in this day where Jesus was speaking. That if a person comes to you on a journey and they're desperate and they need food and they need refuge, you help them. It wasn't, it, man, they didn't have the world we have today. There weren't hotels available. You're walking and sometimes things happen and you, you plan to get there, but you don't know what time you're going to get there and the challenges that you face. Let's just suppose that they finally get to this guy's house at midnight and they've got a toddler who hadn't eaten anything. You try to put that little guy to bed and tell him, well, wait, and we'll eat tomorrow. And the reason they had this rule is if they show up, you got to help them. Sometimes it's a life and death situation in this moment. And so they had this unwritten rule that, that hey, if they show up at your house and they need something, you, it, you give it to them because they might not live if you don't and and failure to do this was a serious breach in their social obligation not to mention that it might jeopardize the life of the person who's come to your house so there's an urgency here dude i i, I need bread now i can't wait till tomorrow and and the reason that i need it now is because they came to me you see, the thing that, that, that we discover here is that this problem became his problem. It was his responsibility. And what I want you to understand is this, as a mature believer, there are people who in their journey have come to us. They live next door to you. You think it's an accident that so you live where you live and the people that live next door to you live next door to you? Do you honestly believe that just happened? Do you understand that God is in control of every part of our life? He puts you where you are. Did you know that the people who work in the same office with you are there because God determined that they need to be there and you need to be there? You ever stop and think about the fact that the people that sit in front of you and behind you and beside you in a classroom are there because God put them there? In their journey in life, God has put people in your life, and the only Christian some of them will ever see is you. And they're your responsibility. And there's an urgency. That when we grow in our relationship with God, we say, God, you need to do a work in their heart. And, and, and it needs to happen now. They're my responsibility. I can't give them away to somebody else. They brought, they, they, they've knocked at my door. Also, I, th I think another reason that there's an urgency or, or 
there's a desperation, not just the urgency. I think there also, there, there's an urgency, and this might really help you at this moment because of the inadequacy of resources. There's an urgency and a desperation because they come to my door and I don't have any bread. And the reason some of you have not responded to the needs of your neighbors because you don't have anything to meet their needs. And I want you to understand it's because we don't have what they need that drives us to God on their behalf. God, my neighbor doesn't know Jesus and I have nothing to set before him. My, my daughter is going through some temptations and challenges in life, and I, I don't have anything to set before them. My children have wandered away in their adult years from God, and I have nothing to set before them. I've got a friend at work whose marriage has fallen apart, and I have nothing to set before them. And my own desperation and inadequacy means that I come to you for them. God, you've got the answer. You gotta help. I can't. I don't have anything to put before them, but you do, and I come to you on their behalf. And my inadequacy drives me to the throne of grace. Well, the final thing that I give you is this. As I kind of look at this story, I can also tell why most of us never get to this place in our life where we, where we pray grown-up prayers, where we are mature, where our prayers look like the same age as our walk with God. You've been a Christian for 20 years, but your prayers look like you've been saved for a year. And I think the reason for that is also evident in the story. Because praying like this, let me just tell you, will cost you. If you want to pray like this, if you want to pray like Jesus prayed, it's going to cost you. Intercession may cost you sleep and may cost you rest. It may cost you a friendship or the risk of one. And all in an effort to feed someone you don't even know. Because intercessory prayer, this is what it does. Identifies with the person that we're praying for. This guy, when the person knocked on his door and said, man, we've been traveling all day long and we've just made it here and we don't have anything. He wasn't hungry. He had already gone to bed. He wasn't tired, but suddenly he became hungry and suddenly he was tired because he literally identified with a hurting person on the other side of the door and their hurt became his. This is what I've discovered in life. Hurt people listen for a cry like their own so they know they're not alone. 
And our prayer is that cry. Our prayer for them becomes that cry that they hear that reinforces and encourages them to know that they're not alone. The reason many of us never get there is because it costs us. We have to identify with them. Even though I'm not hungry, they are, so I'm gonna take this on as if I've got the same hunger they do, and this becomes my burden, my issue, my need as their own. Isn't that what Jesus did? If I'm gonna pray like he did, didn't, didn't he identify with us? Isn't it true that Jesus left the glory and splendor of heaven to put on human flesh so that he could identify with you and know what it's like to walk through what you've walked through? Doesn't it make sense that if I want to pray like him, I'm going to have to do that? I'm going to have to identify with the needs of other people at that level? You know what else he did? He sacrificed. It wasn't about him. It was what the Father wanted. It, 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 and, and if we're going to pray like that, it's going to cost us. We're going to sacrifice we got to be willing to treat the problem like it is our own. And it might mean that we have to give up something in order to do that. Nothing is accomplished in life without hard work, dedication, sacrifice. And the same is true in our spiritual walk. But let me tell you something. Prayer becomes the climb. If you ever talk to a mountain climber, what they'll tell you, if you ask them, uh, any of them, if you ask them about the experience, they're not going to really talk about the summit. They're not going to talk about how beautiful the view is when they got to the top. You know what they're going to talk about? The climb. The challenge of the climb and that one part of the mountain that was so hard that we overcame and sleeping on the side of the mountain and overcoming adversity and challenges. And when we look back over the course of our life, isn't that what we celebrate? And I, and I believe for believers, it's the prayer time that's the climb. It was in that time, I, boy, I came to know God's heart in a way I'd never known it before. Because it's from identifying and sacrifice that we finally get to the next part in the story, and that is the victory what is the victory? He'll give him all that he needs. <laughs> you and I, when we learn to pray like this, have a front row seat to watch God do the impossible. We get to see it every day. We get to be a part of it. We get to experience it and see his provision and see him provide all that is needed. I guess I might sum it up by simply saying this. I believe God is calling you today to grow up in your prayer life. So what are you going to say? Some of you are still praying. Now I lay me down to sleep and you wonder why God's not at work in your life. It's time to grow up in your prayers. Maybe you need to go back and listen to some of the, the things that we've talked about along the way and figure out where are you in your prayer walk and ask God to bring you from there.
to where you, maybe some of you need to realize the reason you face challenge after challenge after challenge is because God's trying to bring you through high school and he's saying you got to learn how to pray warfare prayer or you're not going to survive. So I'm just going to leave you in the fight and let you get beat up until you learn that prayer. Learn. It's time for us to grow into grown-up prayers. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the messages that you have given to me through this study over the weeks. I pray that somehow it's encouraged and strengthened others who have been able to listen or watch. (coughs) I pray, Father, that you will touch the hearts of every person that is here today and those that are listening and bring us to the place where we desire to pray like Jesus prayed, to grow in our prayer life, to, to, to be mature in our walk with you, that we'll never be satisfied with just the little preschool walk we have, but we'll grow, become the mature believer that you've called us to be, to see you do the unthinkable, the unimaginable, as a regular part of our life. So give us the desire. And then, Father, my next prayer is this, that you will enable us to embrace the discipline necessary to bring the desire to fruition. We can want it, but unless we discipline ourselves, so I pray that you will give us the courage to discipline ourselves to take the steps that need to be taken to get there and that we will not be deterred. We will take one step after another. We'll move with tenacity to get to that goal of walking in maturity with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.